the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday, and that means we don't have a lot going, so we can get right to the questions. But I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff that's going on in your life, questions about church, whatever's on your heart. We need only to have you call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else is hands-free and our studio producer will take care of you. Our first question is from Matthew, our email inbox. Love you, Pastor Ron. Matthew, thank you. Uh, He says, what I took wholeheartedly in the Bible study Sunday uh, really touched my heart was this. If you walk with Jesus, you will never miss his will. That was so great. Can you please expound on that? Matthew, I, I, I so appreciate your comment. And normally I wouldn't put something like this on this program. But this is something that's really important for us. You know, we have so mystified our our walk with Jesus. You know, what if you wanted me to turn left instead of turning right? And what I've tried to communicate to our church uh, for all these years is that it is impossible to miss the perfect will of God if you're with him. That's the thing. When I tell you over and over at church, on this program, just be with Jesus. If you're with him, you cannot possibly miss his perfect will. And I think sometimes we make it so difficult. We try to figure out, well, I should have done this, I should have done that. And then there's an enemy who's going to heap condemnation on you. So, Matthew, my whole point is this, is I want people to understand that if they will just hang out with Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you're single and you want to be married, you're you're thinking about a job, you're thinking about a decision to move, just whatever the decision is, if you're hanging out with Jesus... You follow him every day of your life is going to be spent in the will of God. Now, obviously, we sin, we mess up from time to time, and that takes us out of his perfect will. But that's why 1 John 1, 9 is so significant. If you confess your sins, that is to agree with God, he then is faithful to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. And so if we'll do that, we're right back in that place where we can just be with Jesus and we can't miss his will. And I hope for you, Matthew, and for everybody else, that takes off all the pressure of having to make the right decisions. Another thing that I tell our church here frequently is that if if your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. And too many of us, we take the approach of, well, I have to make the right decision. How do I know what God says? Just be with him. 
Just be with him. That one thing, and I learned this, uh, it really hit home in my heart. Oh, I don't know, 29 years ago. Uh, I put so much pressure on myself to do the right thing. And I had to remember that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. That he is the author and the perfecter or finisher of my faith. And I just think, Matthew, that far too many of us, we have this sense that, well, I've got to do the right thing and then God will bless me. No, God can't help but to bless you, but you've got to be with him. And you've got to be with him where he is. Thank you for the comments, Matthew. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Lucy on line one from Universal City. Lucy, thank you for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you today? Lucy, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. That's good to hear. Okay, so here's my question. My husband and I were um, reading in the scriptures this morning, and it in James 1.14, it says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Okay, so my question is, is temp- uh, it, it says also in the Bible that God will not tempt us. Okay, but um, I, is there a difference between trials and temptation? And do trials come from God, or are they permitted by God somehow oh, yeah. to strengthen us? Because I'm confused about the difference between temptations and trials, and and also the verse that says that God will not give us more than we can handle, and how He we, will give us this. Yeah, the the the, the Bible, First Corinthians ten thirteen, doesn't say that God won't give us more than we can handle. What what First Corinthians ten thirteen says is that that God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. So in both cases, trials and temptations are separate issues. And the context, Lucy, determines which is in view here. Now, let me go back a verse. Uh, because when you said first, James chapter 1, verse 14, you read it. But, but that sentence starts in the previous verse. It said, when tempted, no one should say God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So it's outside of God's character, his nature to tempt us. God would never dangle a a sin carrot in front of us. Uh, That comes from the enemy. That comes from our flesh. James, in the next verse that you pointed out, says it comes by our own evil desire. And when we give in, then we're dragged away. And um, he'll go one step further. He says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. To, to, to death. So the difference between trials and temptation is going to be determined by the context. And clearly, God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But there are some trials that apart from God, we can't handle them. That thing is for sure. So your question do, does God permit trials or do trials come from God? The answer, Lucy, is yes to both of those questions. You remember when Jesus was uh, tempted in the wilderness, it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness temptation to be tested. There are times when God will put us right in the middle of tests and he tests us, uh, Peter says, because our, our, our faith, which is more precious than gold, has to be proven. And and we, we encounter tests all the time. And when we are tested and pass the test, just imagine God in heaven smiling at you and Jesus saying to the Father, I knew they would pass this test. So yes, testing comes from God. But testing also is permitted by God because there's all kinds of things in this world that test our faith. The enemy tests our faith. So... Uh, Tests and temptation are two completely separate things. Because of God's holy nature, he cannot tempt us to sin. So when somebody says, well, I just can't help it. God's putting this in front of me. No, that's not God. That's our own evil desire. That's the the, the world that tries to convince us to sin. Uh, and uh, that's that's just a process that we're all undergoing all the time. That's just the, our faith is always going to be tempted. 
But that verse in 1 Corinthians 10.13 is significant because it promises us several things. First, that whatever temptation is coming your way is a temptation that other people have endured. It's not unique to you. Other people have endured it and, and thrived, and so too can we. It also says that we can say no. We don't have to give in to temptation. We can simply say, no, I choose to serve Jesus. So the context determines whether they're the same. There are some cases where trials and temptations are used, covered by the same Greek word. But but most often, Lucy, when you look at the context of the passage of Scripture, it can tell very clearly whether he's talking about temptation. James in chapter 1 is talking about the temptation to sin. Uh, so too is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But believe me, there are plenty of tests that we feel like we're not prepared for. God says, no, I got you. And he wants us to understand when we're weak, he's strong. When we're faithless, he's faithful. But make no mistake, um, there are some temptations, I'm sorry, some trials that we simply don't feel like we're prepared for. Hope that helps, Lucy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Let's go to Ruben on line two from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for holding. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Um, pray that you're having a blessed day. Uh, I have a question. Um, I'm in the book of Luke right now, and uh, it's a beautiful book. Um, but there's something that I don't understand. Uh, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples and he was giving them parables about uh, the the minas and then uh, the parable about the rich man and all that, um, but there was one part that really just I didn't get, I don't get, and I was just wondering if maybe you could explain it to me. I don't remember what chapter it's in, but it, it talks about he who has, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, who, he who has much will be given much, and he who has less, that what he has will be taken from him. Is Did I uh, kind of paraphrase it correctly? Yeah, I, I think so, uh, Ruben, and and it's a very simple explanation, um, and it deals with with gifts. Now, the the minas or or the talents uh, in in another in Matthew's gospel, um, and and Jesus used different figures of speech to to make the same point, um, but 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 we would equate those to spiritual gifts, and here's what Jesus is saying. When, when I give you spiritual gifts, you're a steward of those gifts, and I want you to use those gifts for my glory. And in both of the parables, they, they thought the, the, the master of the house was mean and, and unfair. Uh, so so the, 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 the one that buried his mina or his talent and didn't do anything with it, he's the one who gets rebuked. All of the others uh, put their talents to work and, and, uh, and, and produce the return. For the kingdom of God, this particular one, he just buried it because well, I heard you were a taskmaster, and so here's what he's saying. Now, the summary of all of this is: uh, to him who has been given much, more will be given. So here's the idea. Let's say, Reuben, that you're a really gifted guy, and I know you are. I know you're a worship leader. You've got musical. If if you have those gifts, and you use them for the glory of God, God will give you more opportunities to demonstrate those gifts for his glory and there will be more rewards in heaven on the other hand if there is a man or a woman who has been given gifts by god and they're afraid to use them they're afraid they're going to mess up and so basically they just bury those gifts and don't use them well what he's saying is the gifts that i've given you the rewards will be taken from you and given to others so there's no rewards for, for the man or the woman who uh, gets to heaven but hasn't used his or her gifts for the glory of God. Uh, maybe they've just been spiritually lazy. Maybe they're just uh, nervous and afraid to use them. They're afraid of messing up. Uh, if they bury those gifts, there's not going to be any rewards. And God is going to bring somebody else. And in this particular case, the people with the greater gifts who've been faithful with them, he's going to give them the opportunity to earn the rewards 
that you turn down simply by your lack of use. So that's all he's doing. And and this is an important principle for us. You know, I know too many people, Reuben, who say, well, just getting to heaven is all I want. If I get to heaven, that's enough. But we're going to receive rewards in heaven and our works are going to be judged to see of what value they are or whether they have any value at all. And uh, I've always said that I would hate to see uh, standing in front of Jesus that he had rewards for me. And instead of being able to give them to me because of my unfaithfulness, he had to give those rewards to other people. So that's why we want to be diligent about using our gifts for the for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. Uh, I think too often when we just sort of set our gifts aside, we're acting like the man in that parable, in both of the parables, talents and minus, who was rebuked uh, in the parable. In other words, use your gifts and you're going to receive rewards. If you don't use your gifts, then what's going to happen is the rewards that were intended for you are going to be given to someone else on the day that we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat or the Bema seat of Christ. Now, I want to make one thing clear to everybody, because when you talk about being judged, it's really important. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about the, the quality of our works being judged. Romans chapter 12 First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. And the things that we do are going to be weighed and measured. Were they motivated by a love for God? Were they motivated by wanting to give glory to God? Were our gifts used as God intended them? And what was our 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 heart in, in, in using those gifts? Was it to get attention for ourselves? Or was it really and truly to give glory to God? When our heart is right, then we're going to receive rewards. But when we misjudge Jesus, we're afraid to use them or too lazy spiritually to use those gifts. Well, that's when we're going to suffer loss. And although heaven is going to be a great place, the capacity for some to enjoy heaven is going to be far greater than for others. Thanks, Reuben. Appreciate that question. That is an often misunderstood passage. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Good day to you. Um, you. I'm glad I didn't call uh, the other day when I was going to, because you have led right into my question. (laughs) And I had been thinking about this. And as you say, we're going to lose crowns for our our, uh, negligence, put it that way. Um, But uh, the people that are very, very gifted or intelligent. Uh, you were talking about them uh, the other day, a uh, particular religion guy that, uh, well, he's he's real smart, but, you know, not, not right a lot, and something to that effect. But anyway, <clears throat> my point was, uh, or my query is, uh, since we will be diminished in our in our glory of what we have done with what we have been given, those that have rejected, uh, you know, um, don't believe in God or whatever, you know, that are atheists or uh, Darwinians or uh, I can think of numerous people mm-hmm. that are very, very intelligent, and I just wonder if they will have a greater amount of anguish in yes. hell, or <laughs> how could that be, since the, 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 the biggest thing would be separation from uh, the light, and... Uh, I just I just was wondering how what did you think yeah. about that and I'm going to listen on the radio if that's all right if if yes, I Ray, made any you. sense you you did that's that's a perfect flip side of the other question uh that Reuben uh asked as well so um yeah you know Jesus talks about eternal torment and he says there are some who will be beaten with few blows others who will be beaten with many blows so just like heaven uh, as wonderful as it is, is going to be different, a, a different experience for everybody. 
based on our faithfulness here, hell, as terrible as it is, is going to be uh, just and it will be far worse for some than it is for others. And so the, uh, the, 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 the mass murderer, uh, the, 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 the abortion doctor uh, who takes innocent lives, I mean, hell is going to be really terrible for them. Um, now, while hell is going to be terrible for everybody, it's going to be less terrible for um, somebody who's just rejected Jesus Christ and, well, I just couldn't believe, but, you know, basically we would say they were a good person. So, yes, there's going to be different levels of torment in hell just as there's different levels of reward in heaven. And that is a testimony, Ray, to uh, the justice of God. Uh, That's a testimony that says um, God is fair. And, uh, you know, we we have a tendency sometimes to worry about, well, how could somebody like that get to heaven? There's going to be accountability in heaven. There's going to be accountability in hell as well. So, Ray, you're on the right track there at all. You know, let me say to everybody, because these are questions and the kind of questions that we, we have to think about, because that's our future one way or the other. And one of the things that we really need to remember is that um, there's going to be a day when every one of us is going to stand and look into those eyes of Jesus. And we're going to explain to him why we didn't serve him. We're going to explain to him why we were selfish, why we refused to forgive somebody when we ourselves have been forgiven so much. And those are constant themes of Jesus' parables. Um, imagine looking into Jesus' eyes. He's showing you, he, he, he's got his hands out and you see those hands that, that have nail scars in him. You see his face that's been beaten looking as a lamb who'd been slain. How we explain to him, Lord, I just didn't trust you enough to do the work. We all of us need to make it that personal. That's how important it is. Thanks, Ray. Let's go to Cedar Park and talk with Steve on line one. Steve, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Uh, yesterday, Hi, you were answering the question um, about, you know, Jesus on the on the cross and his suffering. Um, you know, certainly physical pain, but it just got me thinking as I was driving. With the separation from mm-hmm. the Father while he was on the cross and taking all our sins, did he also experience, like, spiritual pain, um, oh. you know, beyond beyond the physical um, pain that, of course, that torture would give him. I just got thinking that I love, you know, a human turn, emotional pain, but for me, just that separation. And um, that was that was my question uh, on, yeah. on the other sort of pain that, that our Lord would have suffered. Yeah, Steve, that's that's wonderful insight. Let me let me suggest two things, and I've I've really wrestled with this. I mean, gut wrenching wrestling uh, over my years walking with the Lord. I personally believe that the torment over separation from the Father, my God, my God, why have you rejected me? The only time He ever called His Father anything but Father or Abba was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know he was fulfilling prophecy and and evangelizing at the same time. However, that separation had to be, and this is my opinion, Steve, the second most difficult thing, far more difficult than the physical pain. Even more difficult than that, imagine Jesus becoming sin. So there's two things. People say, well, God can do everything. Here's two things God couldn't do. He couldn't imagine finality being separated from his father. And he couldn't imagine the stain of sin on his soul. Can you imagine when he became sin in our place? What that was like for him. It was an experience that he's never before had to encounter. And and those two things... Steve, I'm I'm convinced were by far the most difficult things. And I think when he cried out uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, I think it was in the anticipation of being separated from his father 
the, the, the idea of, of death, finality, Jesus who always was and always will be was in his human nature going to experience death. And then the idea of that, that, that holy heart of God becoming sin. I, I don't think we can comprehend that. That's, I think, Steve, while you're on to something, I, I think those are the by far the two most difficult things of all that Jesus had to deal with on the cross, things that he couldn't possibly comprehend. So I, I hope that makes sense to you, Steve. But yeah, I, I have really in the years past wrestled over and over and over about those things. I want to be able to understand. I want to be able to empathize. And obviously I can't. Um, but but I, I think when we... S- wrestle with those kinds of issues, I think a sense of gratitude really, really grows in our hearts, in our minds. I think we understand the depth of his suffering. You know, we talk about the height and width and depth and breadth of his love. I don't think we truly can understand the height and width and depth and breadth of his torment, of his suffering. I think that's exactly right. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the phone call. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. Oops, I'm sorry. Welcome back to the second half of the program. I didn't know if my mic was on yet or not. 340-9585. Here are some questions uh, that have been sent in. This one from Ariana. Um, hello, Pastor Ron. My husband and I are reading Ezekiel, and we recently asked Pastor Ken a question uh, on the show last week. Our question was related to the temple that was being measured. We were told that the temple that was being described in chapter 40 was a temple that will be built during the millennial reign. As we continue to read, Ezekiel goes on to talk about priests and sacrifices and offerings that will be made. So my question is, and by the way, Ken gave you the right answer, obviously, that is the millennial temple. So my question is, why will there be a need for sacrifices, offerings, and priests in the millennial reign when everyone will be forced to serve God? Will sin still be an issue requiring sacrifices? Also, in one of the passages, there is mention of a prince. It kind of sounded like the prince would be Jesus, but then it goes uh, to talk about other princes that did harsh things to the people of Israel. Can you please provide some clarification? Uh, I can do that, Ariana. Let me deal with the prince thing first because it's a little bit easier to to explain. Uh, I believe Israel's prince, Ezekiel, out of Ezekiel in the millennial reign, is going to be King David. Uh, he's referred to that uh, with that title. Um, um, Jesus is going to rule and reign on the throne of David. So the idea of prince, he is going to be a ruler ruling with Christ as we're going to rule and reign with Christ uh, for the thousand years. Remember, the focus is Jerusalem. The focus is God's people. And while the whole world will be forced to uh, obey, um, um, the, the particular focus here is Israel. Now, why will there be sacrifices? By the way, one other thing. You know, when, when John and James came to Jesus, sent their mother actually, and said, can my sons have the places on your right and on your left when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus said, those are not mine to give. Uh, I think those seats in heaven are occupied by King David as, as Israel's prince and the other one by the Apostle Paul. So uh, representing the apostolic age in the New Testament church. So um, um, King David, I think, is Israel's prince. Now, regarding about why there will be a need for sacrifices, I think, Ariana, the sacrifices, and there will be sacrifices, Ezekiel is very clear about that. I think the sacrifices, rather than offerings for sin, 
You see, in the millennial reign, sin is going to be dealt with quickly. Um, that's We're going to rule and reign in some way that we're not given an explanation. We're going we're gonna to be vessels through whom people will be judged. We will help Jesus deal with people in sin. We will be in our glorified, resurrected, physical bodies. There's going to be multiplied billions of people who are going to be in their flesh and blood bodies. They enter the millennial reign, obviously, in a, in a renewed earth for a thousand years. Um, uh, population is going to flourish, and those will be flesh and blood bodies. Uh, and so, yes, sin will still be an issue. People will still have free will. or Well, they won't have free will, but they will rebel, um, um, and, and, uh, and sin will be dealt with. But rather than a need for sacrifices, I think the sacrifices are going to be memorial sacrifices and offerings. And I think, I think they're going to be some of the best Bible studies that we've ever seen. As we go through the Old Testament, we look at that, and we have a, a, a dim picture of what was going on. I think what Jesus is going to do with those sacrifices for his people Israel, and of course we'll be there to participate, um, uh, I think what we'll see is memorial offerings with, with thanksgiving. And um, they're, they're just going to serve as, a, as an everlasting testimony to the goodness of God, the justice of God. You know, when we read about heaven and we see pictures of angels, they're there around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think in the millennial reign, that same thing is going to be repeated with humans. When we see these sacrifices and Jesus explains what they, they were all about and what they were pointing to, and then we will remember when things are well, how fair God was, how gracious God was with us when things weren't well on this earth. And I think it will be a source of great thanksgiving. And we will see these feasts and festivals the way they were always intended um, to, to be to, to function. And um, I think that's what it is. You know, people really get freaked out over this. Well, why is there going to be sacrifices? Why would God kill animals? Remember, these animals are there for God's glory. And I think this is going to be a series of memorial sacrifices and offerings. And I think from that particular place, we won't have any difficulty while we're there doing it. Here is a question from Julio from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. I go to a Pentecostal church and have been there for about a year now. I was very conflicted when the pastor said that Jesus was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and that God did not answer Jesus because he was praying in the flesh. He added that God does not answer our prayers when we pray in the flesh and that Jesus' prayers weren't answered because that was the only time Jesus was in the flesh and God won't answer in the flesh. Now, let me stop there because he's got more here. But Julio, this is the Holy Spirit giving you discernment. Um, Pentecostal churches are often name it and claim it faith churches and, and, and uh, you know, Jesus was praying in the spirit and then God wouldn't have said no to him. Um, remember, Jesus' prayer was nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. So Julio, Jesus was letting his request be known, but he was also submitting to the will of his father in heaven. And if Jesus had any flesh to get in, remember, Jesus didn't have a sin nature like you have or like I have. If Jesus had a sin nature, if Jesus could have prayed in the flesh, then we're all unsaved. We don't have a Savior because Jesus wouldn't qualify. So this is heresy that this pastor is communicating to you. And if Jesus ever prayed in the flesh, if he was ever in the flesh, um, then, then we're all lost. Let me continue what he said. He said, I always thought that God didn't answer Jesus because it was will for Je- because it was his will for Jesus to be crucified and resurrected for our sins, not because God doesn't answer prayers in the flesh. You are absolutely right about that. Uh, God's will was Jesus submitting to that will uh, was that he die for the sins of the world. Let me also remind you that Jesus was given um, a complete picture of all the things that were going to happen to him on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah came. Uh, he was given a complete itinerary. These are the things that are going to happen. You're going to face these things. And Jesus set his face as flint, Isaiah 50. 
had to go to Jerusalem anyway. So Jesus was never trying to escape the will of God, nor did he have a lapse in faith. Jesus walked in the perfect will of his Father every day. So um, he did answer Jesus' prayer. His answer was no, and Jesus was okay with that. So your last paragraph is I also had the understanding that Jesus was never in the flesh. Um, My pastor made sense of it, but it did not sit right with me. Um, Julio, you're right, he's wrong, and you're in a a pretty unhealthy, out-of-balance church, and this is just rank heresy. So uh, probably time to look for a new church. You've only been there for a year. Uh, Probably time to look for a new church. 340-9585. Here is a question from John. John's going to get me in trouble. Um, So let me just say, please, those of you who seem compelled to email me when I get a question about uh, Catholicism and you say I'm a Catholic basher, I'm only answering the question directly sent. Um, Hi, Pastor. My understanding of the Catholic religion is that they use Matthew 16, 18 uh, as their Bible verse to build the Catholic Church on. Let me read the verse and then I'll continue. Uh, This is the famous verse we all know. He's talking to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Um, Two things. You are Peter. Um, um, Greek word is a little tiny pebble. And the the next word for on this rock, it's this huge foundation. Um, so, so the distinction between little tiny Peter rock and this huge rock, well, what's the rock? That's what we got to wonder. And the rock is his statement of faith. And who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, uh, you are the son of the living God. And that's the, the faith. Believing that is, is the, the foundation upon which the church is built. Um, so he asks, is it wrong for them to view it this way? That's church tradition. They claim that Peter is the first pope. That's the verse that they use. And that is um, really, really poor scholarship. Um, John continues, my Catholic friend who I minister to said, we are all Christians and just like the other evangelical denominations are all going to heaven. I see these denominations like Lutherans, Baptists, Pentecostals, non-denominational and other denominations differently. I see the Catholic Church as being another religion. I'm not sure if I'm on the right track, but are Catholics considered Christians and still going to heaven? Um, John, here's the, the, the short answer. The only people that are going to heaven are those who are born again. It doesn't matter whether you're in the, a Baptist church or a Calvary chapel or a Lutheran church or a Pentecostal church um, or any other denomination or a Catholic church. Except a man be born again, He will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said that twice to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was the most religious of all of the Jews of Jesus' day, the famous teacher of Israel. And Jesus telling him, religion isn't going to get you into heaven. You must be born again. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to live for Christ. That's what it means to be born again. And your sins have to be forgiven. Now, the Catholic Church is another religion. Having said that, Don, there are Catholics in the church who are born again. Not many. And this is where I always get in trouble. People say, you're condemning people. Who are you to judge people? You have to be born again. And the Catholic Church teaches that you you don't have to be born again. You have to be part of the church. They deal with infant baptism as the answer to original sin. And so as long as you're baptized as an infant, then you're okay. But that's not. Jesus was talking to a grown man, a religious grown man. So the Catholic religion is different than our expression of Christianity. In all of those denominations, Lutherans, Baptists, Pentecostals, non-denominational churches, there are people that are born again. But there are also a bunch of people in all of those places that aren't born again. I've said this on this program. I'm trying to, 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 to make sure my Catholic um, friends who, who don't like what I say understand. I say that, that half the people sitting in my church every Sunday aren't really born again. They come to church. They're good people. They look like they're saved. But there's no fruit in their lives. 
They don't change. They just come to church. Except a man or a woman be born again, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, John, that's sort of the line of demarcation there. So, um, you're right. The Catholic Church is full of horrible, horrible doctrine. Uh, much of it heresy. Uh, and yet, there are Catholics. I have met some, a few, who are truly born again. God is a remnant everywhere. And in much of the world. Let me just give you one example. Manny Pacquiao. Uh, the, the expression of the, of the Christian religion in the Philippines is Catholic. And so he is, by definition, a Catholic. But this is a man whose life has been turned right side up by Jesus Christ. And he talks about being born again all the time. He talks about being filled with the Spirit. And, and that's just one example. So there are Catholics who are born-again believers, and they love God with all their heart. For the life of me, I don't understand why they stay in a church where the doctrine is so bad. Um, the, the, the Eucharist, the, 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 the continuing re-crucifixion of Christ over and over and over again when, when the Bible says that Christ has been delivered once and for all. He's been offered once and for all. That's heresy. The, 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 the idolatry toward Mary that's sin. And yet there are some Catholics who are born again. And they're going to be in heaven. So if you want to know who's going to be in heaven, John, it's going to be those who are born again. And just as there are a lot of Catholics who aren't going to be going to heaven, there's a lot of people that identify as evangelicals or Pentecostals or Baptists or even Calvary Chapel people. Uh, and they, they say, well, sure, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. But, but there's no fruit. And they're not going to be in heaven because you must be born again. So that's the, the, the separation line right there, John. So please spare me your emails and your anger. That's just what the Bible teaches us. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from, let's see, we got it coming in. Here it is. This one is from, <laughs> this one's from our mobile app. It's from Curious. When God judges those who rejected him, some people think that the actual judgment itself will be done in heaven. But if that's the case, wouldn't then God be allowing sin into heaven itself and before him? Sinful men cannot stand before a holy God. Um, you know, Curious, a couple of things. Um, our holy God dealt with a lot of sinful men when he was here on the earth. So uh, when, when we say sinful man cannot stand before a holy God, that's not completely true literally. It means we can have no relationship with God. We can have no fellowship with God. We have no access to him. But clearly God deals with sinful people all the time. So understand that rather than literally that, that I can't stand before God in my sin and I can't approach. He lives in unapproachable light and the only way that we can approach God in unapproachable light is to be uh, given the perfection of Jesus. And, of course, Jesus has done that. The judgment itself, the final judgment, those who are going to be judged and thrown into the lake of fire, uh, apparently curious, that's going to happen on earth after the millennium, after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. So, um, it will be Jesus doing the judge. All judgment has been given to me by my Father in heaven, Jesus said. So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to judge all those who rebelled against him and they will be thrown into the lake of fire and that's the end of it. And then there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and we're going to start all over and it's going to be perfect. There will be no uh, sickness, no mourning, no tears, no sadness. Nothing impure will ever enter heaven. Uh, but in the meantime, the people who reject Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 16 says they've been thrown into the place of torment. It's the abuso in Greek, the abyss, and they're being tormented there now. Uh, Hades will surrender its dead uh, at the great white throne judgment, and that's when they will be thrown into the lake of fire. But, but evidently, from the book of Revelation, that is going to occur on this earth and not in heaven. But please... 
understand that when, when it says sinful men cannot stand before holy God, that means we can't stand, we can't prevail. We will be judged. And Jesus dealt with sinners all the time. And I especially uh, am appreciative of that fact. That's how I got saved. So thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Tina. She says, Pastor Ron, my brother struggles with addiction. He is a believer. Why won't God take his addictions away from him? Tina, uh, I'm going to be really direct. God already has taken his addictions away. The problem is your brother won't give them to him. Now, this is a matter of faith. Does he have the faith to receive the finished work of Christ on the cross? And then we've always got this question. You know, a lot of people claim to be believers, but they don't put away sin. I understand the physical struggles with addiction. But once the physical addiction is gone, and that doesn't take long with drugs or alcohol either. It's a brutal process to get through, but it doesn't take long. Well, then it's a matter of choice. And your brother needs to understand that he's already been set free. It is for freedom we've been set free, Paul tells the churches in Galatia. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So your brother has already been delivered. And if he's a real believer, and who am I to judge his heart? I don't know him. But if he's a real believer, he has been delivered. And all he has to do is walk with Jesus. And he won't have to deal with his addictions any longer. I think the problem, Tina, is that so many of us, we spend more time with sin and sinners than we do with Jesus and of course, when we do that, then there's an enemy who's going to make it really, really difficult. And it's always going to be dangling that sin carrot in front of us. It's not God's job to take away temptation from us. 1 Corinthians 10.13. We had a question about it from Lucy earlier in the program. It says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. It doesn't say your brother is faithful. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, if he was my brother, I would say, Tina, you say you're a believer. I would say, do you believe that verse? Do you believe that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear? And when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under the temptation. So God's already done his part. Our part, Tina, is to surrender our desires, to surrender our flesh, to deny ourselves, Jesus said, every day, to pick up our cross every day, die to self so we can live for him. And and he'll find that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside him. I know we like to give special dispensation for addicts, but Jesus' finished work on the cross has already dealt with all of those problems. All we have to do is have the faith to believe it and the resolve to walk with Jesus. He will keep us from that kind of sin. Three, four, zero. Well, I guess I don't have time now. I've only got, I'm inside four minutes now. Carlos wants to know, how should we view minor sins like gluttony or laziness as opposed, as opposed to sins of immorality? Um, you know, Carlos, people are always worried about gluttony. You know, there's a whole bunch of fat people, and, and why don't we call out their sin? Why are we so focused on sins of sexuality? All sin is sin, and all sin separates us from God. You are absolutely correct. There's a lot of people who are gluttons. There's a lot of lazy people, spiritually lazy people, as well as physically lazy people. And those are sins, and we got to leave people in the hands of God. But I think there's a huge difference between those kinds of sins and the sins of sexual immorality, homosexuality. You know, there's nobody who's overweight or nobody who's spiritually lazy who's trying to impose their sins on the rest of the world. And clearly there are different degrees of sin. Sexual sin, Paul says, is the only sin where a man actually sins against his own body. And the implication there is that we give Satan a, a, a foothold, a, a stranglehold, really, to, to destroy us. And if, in fact, we 
partake of sins that the Bible says if we do this, as this is a lifestyle, we will not inherit the kingdom of God, then that's the punishment that we've decided is appropriate for us. So minor sins, when you've got somebody who's unhealthy, you've got somebody who's spiritually lazy, if you love them, tell them. Come on, man, how can I help you? Come on, let's get in the Bible. Let's exercise, whatever it is. Stop eating. That, that's just what somebody does for somebody they love. But those are minor sins compared to sins that are going to keep people out of heaven. And I think we need to be realistic about viewing those sins in that way. So, Carlos, remember, all sin is the same effect. It separates us from God. But not all sin has the same consequence. And we have to really be honest about that when we're viewing it. So, Carlos, I hope that makes sense to you. Hey, we're just about at the end of the program today. Let me um, share a couple of things. I, I could use your prayers. Tomorrow I'm going to be teaching one of the most complicated, detailed chapters in all of Scripture, Daniel chapter 11. And as most of you know, I don't see. So it's going to be really, really hard for me. And I would really and truly appreciate your prayers. This is such a magnificent chapter, Daniel chapter 11 and 12 too. But but I'm only going to get through part of chapter 11 tomorrow. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it tells the future with such specificity that it ought to get everyone who's excited about the value, the power of our living and active word. So that's tomorrow night here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the phone calls and the questions that were sent. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.